A federal judge has blocked the NCAA from doing what the NCAA does. A Super Bowl winning coach is headed to college. And who has the most to prove at the NFL Combine? Let's go. It's the number one college football show. What's up, good folk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, on our last show, before we get to our last show of Black History Month, see how I did that? We need to talk about who has the most approved in the NFL Combine. We need to talk about UCLA hiring a Super Bowl winning coach and how I think people are really talking about this all wrong. But first, let's get you caught up on some news that happened over the week, a federal judge blocked the NCAA from enforcing its own name, image, and likeness transfer rule, and that is going to have some repercussions that are far-reaching. So the first question to ask and to answer is, why did this happen? This happened because attorneys general in Tennessee and Virginia filed a lawsuit, an injunction on part trying to block the, uh, the name, image, and likeness legislation that the NCAA was trying to enforce, which is on their books. From taking root. Now, what this basically comes down to is it means that boosters and universities can pay players and recruits for name, image, and likeness services, regardless of whether or not they are enrolled. So, not to get too deep in the weeds on this, but you need to understand the context. So, Tennessee was recruiting, probably going to be their starting quarterback. And in doing so, flew the dude in, right? Boosters paid for that plane. That violation NCAA rules and NCAA was planning to investigate if not sanction the University of Tennessee for violating those rules but this is where it gets interesting not only did Tennessee fight this along with others attorneys generals are getting into this which means that elected officials know very well that riding for the local college football team is a great way to remain in office and I find this to be fascinating because we're at this moment where pay for play has always been coming, but it is most assured with things like this. The federal judge using his platform to reinforce this, Judge Clifton Corker wrote, in part, the NCAA's prohibition likely violates federal antitrust law and harms student-athletes. I find the use of student-athletes here kind of interesting, uh, charged, if you will, because the NCAA and higher education folks love to say student athlete because they don't like to say players because players get paid student athletes barter and scholarship. And the idea that Judge Corker is still calling them student athletes means that they're one and the same, which is exactly how most people talk about this, right? Where you're getting into the nomenclature is when you can really start to hear the dog whistle. That is the thing that only you can hear coming into play. And this is getting to be a louder and louder discussion. I think that Really, this comes back to boosters can use monetary inducements to talk to prospective recruits about going to their universities, which means that you could pay somebody $50,000 to come on a visit and they don't need to commit. They can just take your money and go. Now, we've also seen this go the other way, right, with draconian contracts where some players are signing things for like six-figure advances in exchange for 10% of their lifetime earnings, which is, again, preposterous and predatory. 
And that is basically what the NCAA was trying to stop from happening. I think it's also interesting to point this out. We are mostly in favor of the kids getting paid, right? Most people would get there. But this has got it to a point where it used to be let the kids do some car dealership commercials, let the kids go cake for the braces that they got in exchange for, you know, ads. Now it is you got to put away some money like you might to buy a house so that you don't lose to Arkansas. And that's where this is getting kind of really out of control. But if you got it and you want to spend it, this is how you got to do it, right? This is a hobby for many people. And if you can afford the hobby, you can do this. I mean, I'm a car guy. At one point or another, you just stop talking about money because the money pit is exactly that, right? You want to blow a small fortune very easily, you can throw it at your football team or you can go racing. Both of those could be fun ways to lose, just like gambling in Vegas. So I think the irony here and the thing for you to take from this decision is, A, expect more boosters to get more involved. Expect NIL collectives to really start running, sprinting after recruits in a way that they have not before. And that the NCAA is hamstrung here. Irony here is the NCAA attempted to perform functions. Universities hired them to perform and make them uniform law. But that accounts for only the collective and not the individual. So when you have, say, the University of Tennessee, to stick with this example, operating as an individual, saying that the NCAA is violating my rights. Yeah, they are. But those are also part of what you are buying into, right? We all want to live or have a governing body that oversees us all. Everybody understands the rules. Everybody follows the rules. And because we follow the rules, we get to have this thing called a society. When you get one person or two people or several people that decide that this one law is impeding their freedoms, literally, right? ability to make money and or spend your money as you see fit, then you got a problem. The NCAA can't do anything about this because it is fighting this sort of fight, right, in the courts and probably going to lose. But it's also representing the very universities that in some places are fighting it. So we have turned the NCAA into our favorite whipping boy. And it's not even fun for me anymore because I used to be in the minority on this, when I would say the NCAA is a maid service, you pay for the NCAA to do its job, right? To clean up your mess and or to arrange your bedroom so that you can go to work and do what you got to do. And now everybody's just bagging on the NCAA because it's an easy target. And it's very easy to point at the NCAA, which is toothless, can't actually do much of anything that, you know, we don't want it to do. And then make it into this criminal enterprise that is trying to push down the great universities of uh, college football and its players. What needs to change is we got to get a new governing body or we have to come around to a better way of organizing ourselves because I'm I'm with people when they say this is the Wild West and they don't understand what the rules are. And so there are no rules and people are operating in chaos. And that does not, that, that doesn't frustrate me at all. As a matter of fact, I rather like that. That's called late stage capitalism. And capitalism is a blood sport. Either you came to win or you don't need to play. But if you want to be fair, you got to come up with some new rules that everybody can agree to. And right now we can't agree to any rules. So we're letting judges do this because our congressmen do not want to get involved. Our state legislators probably want to get over involved. And our higher education people are just that. They are higher education professionals that have to make business decisions now. And as a person who has stopped or uh, operated a small business to profitability, let me tell you something. 
Me having a master's in professional writing ain't going to get that done. You get what I'm saying? Me being ready to be an English professor ain't going to get that done. You need to get business people to run your business, but you also need to get business people that operate with a level of humanity that don't make it feel as if we're all just balanced out on a sheet that we're all assets. Matter of fact, one of the things I hate talking about with players is people talking about them as assets and not as people, which is a great way to get into the NFL combine, the ultimate people versus assets conversation as the NFL is getting newly acquainted to the stars of our sport. So most intriguing players at the NFL combine is how we are talking about this, but I'm always fascinated by the number of NFL fans that are learning about guys that you and I have known about for five years for the first time, right? So Caleb Williams is literally being introduced to people that just don't know who he is at the NFL Combine. Now, he's not going to throw, but he's going to be there along with some others like Jaden Daniels and Drake May, right? You, This is a meet and greet, right? This is, hey, how are you? I'm I'm a Heisman winner in 2022. Uh, I'm the Heisman winner in 2023. Uh, I'm the tooliest quarterback in this draft, Drake May. So I named all three of them. That's how they're going to start these conversations. But for our purposes, let's talk about college and look at it as if we know these guys. So the most intriguing for me comes down to who can do the most to help themselves out at the NFL combine. Now, somebody somewhere is going to run fast, right? We know this. Some dude from FCS whatever is going to drop 4-2, right? We're going to get the group of five player, like, say, Tariq Woolen a few years back, who's just long and range and everybody is overjoyed with to have that guy available on day two. But I'm looking at the top 25, right? And then I'm looking at the 32 picks. And I go through this list and I ask myself, who was a great player on one of these teams that just doesn't slot into the top 10 of the NFL draft if you're doing your best available? And for me, the guy that jumps off the page is Michigan quarterback J.J. McCarthy. J.J. McCarthy was the best player that we did not care to call the best player in the college football playoff. And all he did was lead Michigan to a 15-0 record and a national championship for the first time in the playoff era in their first national championship in 26 years. But if you know anything about J.J. McCarthy, you knew that this was in the cards coming out of high school. It's a five-star prospect coming out of the state of Illinois, goes to ING Academy, ends up at Michigan, and was so good in 2022 that Jim Harbaugh was forced to let the quarterback competition go into the season, even though he had Caden McNamara at quarterback, and Caden McNamara had led Michigan to their first appearance in the college football playoff against Georgia and a win against Ohio State and a Big Ten crown, right? So J.J. has always had this. But the thing that I think frustrates us about J.J. is we just don't know how good he can be. I say this because he needs to show that Michigan ran a predominantly power run, gap scheme, duo kind of offense because that's what the program does. That's what they're good at. That's how they have built their identity. And he needed to work within that. So he needs to show that he can be the scheme when the scheme breaks down. And you know what? There are flashes of this in every game that he played. Either he's about to get trucked and outrun somebody to the corner, or he throws an absolute dart to somebody that should not be open and gets them to be open. The problem with the offense that they run, though, is 
it is predominantly uh, a 21st century kind of pro style, right? Meaning we're going to run the football. We want to depend on our offensive line. We want to down block. We want to go play to pass. We want to get man coverage and let our wide receivers and tight ends win. That means that a lot of the throws that JJ was making are the first and second read, right? And the thing that most NFL evaluators want to know is that you can go back across the field, right? Meaning you can go to the right, you can go to the left, and you can come back right, and you can make a play. CJ Stroud was doing this for the Houston Texans all last year, right? People had missed this about him because he just does not have the athletic tools that JJ does, but his accuracy is the best that anybody has seen in quite some time. I know this because CJ was the first guy to throw a perfect score at the opening final, right? That's how he ended up winning Elite 11 MVP over a guy like Bryce Young, who ended up winning the Heisman Trophy at Alabama, but had a better year as a rookie than Bryce Young did. Now, a lot of that has to do with fit. A lot of that has to do with D'Amico Ryans is an outstanding football coach, and Frank Wright just didn't get time to be that guy at Carolina. But you get my point here. So I think what we want to see from J.J. is – be J.J. McCarthy. Be the guy with an explosive arm that can throw a football over them mountains. The guy that probably is going to go sub 4-5 in the 40 if he chooses to run it. The guy who can make that layered throw over the top of the linebacker that's dropping back, but in front of the safety that's coming downhill and into the breadbasket of a wide receiver that's running across the middle. That's what you want to see. You want to see the guy that, frankly, we thought Zach Wilson was going to be, and that's really the problem right, is, goodness me, man, JJ's probably going to light this thing up, and he should, because he's a prodigious talent, and I'm glad I get to talk about him in this way, because he's going to be unshackled, right, he's not going to be running Jim Harbaugh and Sharon Moore's offense, he's going to be in really competitive scale, right, we're going to get to see that dude in some really cool seven-on-seven type situations, and see where he can put the ball, and see how he can move, and then, Go be the guy that Jim Harbaugh loves, the, the guy that Jim Harbaugh called the best quarterback in Michigan history. Why would Jim Harbaugh give you that sort of a moniker? Because he believes in you as a person and as a leader. That's that's the coolest thing I can actually say about Jim Harbaugh and his program. I got to know, talk with him a, a few times, not a lot, but a few times. And each time he spent more time talking about his players and his coaches and how much he loves them and what kind of people they are, then he does what they can do on a football field. It's almost like it doesn't really matter because he knows the kind of person they are, the kind of effort they're going to put in. And because he has his own music that he marches to and he likes his music, he could absolutely take all the arrows and all the slings that would come at a guy like J.J. McCarthy who might throw a pick early in his career. Like That was my real conundrum with J.J. McCarthy. He would make some stupid decisions, and then I would have to remind myself that he is young and give him an opportunity to grow up, and he has done that, right? He used to be the dude that was going to throw the ball to the other team. Now he's the guy that is making the educated and mature read and was not afraid to live for another play, and that is what you're going to have to do as an NFL rookie, especially if you are drafted to start. So be J.J. McCarthy. And then everything else will take care of itself. I think I, I truly believe that. I don't think he's a top 25 player in this draft overall, but I do think that he could be a top 10 pick given what the quarterback position means in the NFL and given what he might be able to display in a combine and pro day environment. So aside from J.J. McCarthy, there's one other guy that I think can really help himself at the NFL combine, and that is Washington wide receiver 
Rome Odunze. Rome could vault ahead of Marvin Harrison Jr. With one particular metric. If we find out that Romo Dunzi is a sub 4-4 40-yard dash guy, it's going to be really difficult to say that guy is not as good or better than Marvin Harrison Jr. Now, I'm still going to go draft Marvin Harrison Jr. because I know more about Marvin Harrison Jr. I've been following Marvin Harrison Jr. since St. Joe's prep. Romo Dunzi shocked me in 2022 and then came on strong in 2023. He also caught more balls than Marvin Harrison Jr. He also would have been the Bolitnikoff Award winner if his quarterback wasn't so good and he didn't have such great help. That's the thing about Marvin Harrison Jr. is Kyle McCord is not the quarterback that Michael Penix Jr. is, right? So we were looking at Michael Penix Jr. a little bit differently than we're looking at Kyle McCord. And because of that, we looked at Marvin Harrison Jr. We made him a better player. It still might be true. Right. Given the bloodlines, given what he has done at Ohio State, the first wide receiver with uh, multiple thousand yard receiving seasons ever. Right. Their first Bolitnikoff award winner since 95. But Rome won his conference championship, beat his in-state rival, beat their most hated rival twice, won a college football playoff game and made the national championship. Now, I would argue if I'm Marvin Harrison Jr., hey, dog, you see what I did against Keely Ringo in, at Georgia? You know what time it is. You know who I am. I do. The other part about that is 2022 is 2022. 2023 is 2023. Honestly, I think if Marvin Harrison Jr. is gone, it's going to be a race to go get Romo Dunzi. And that is the height of my confidence for him. Like it is, it's that cut and dry, right? I could go Marvin Harrison Jr., Romo Dunzi, Brock Bowers. I could even see Brock Bowers going before both of them if he ran fast. But I think if Rome runs incredibly quick, and we really got to have a deep discussion about wide receiver one. That's going to help him tremendously because he goes from being a guy that might be drafted late in the first or early in the second to a guy that might get selected in the first 10 picks, which is where I expect Marvin Harrison Jr. to go regardless of how fast Romo Dunzi runs the 40-yard dash. All right. Let's go from talking about the NFL combine back to talking about college and one of the more important and interesting hires that we have seen during this rather interesting offseason. So at a time when we have coaches that are leaving in droves to either not be a head coach or to go to the NFL, Eric Bieniemy has decided to accept the offensive coordinator position for Deshaun Foster at UCLA. Tremendous move and tremendous hire for Deshaun Foster because he's already starting to answer questions, right? My big question for him was, what's your staff going to look like? Because he got this job really late in the cycle, right? He is a first-time head coach, former running backs coach, and yes, he is in the UCLA Hall of Fame, which makes him a Bruins fan favorite, but you only get to be the fan's favorite during your first year. After that, you got to start winning, and he's going to need help. So what did he do? He went to go hire what effectively is a head coach for the offense in Eric Bieniemy. So I ended up writing about Eric Bieniemy for Fox Sports and what it means that Deshaun Foster was able to hire a guy like him. But I think we should start here because I really think that the conversation around being has been for the most part about what he hasn't done as opposed to what he has done. And I think because people are much more fascinated with what he hasn't done and how it hasn't gone to plan this last year, we have forgotten just how good Eric Bieniemy is at his job. 
So I wanted to bring back a thought. So I'm just going to say start here, okay? The best quarterback of this generation is Kansas City Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes. And Mahomes credits Biennemi with much of his success. So the quote that he gave in August of last year, talking about this being his first year without Biennemi since winning a Super Bowl, right, is that EB is going to be hard on you. He's going to really try to get the best out of you in every single day. He's going to hold you accountable when you don't want to hold yourself accountable. His coaching made me a better player. And if you thought it was coach speak, he goes on. He says, there's a reason why he's coaching you the way he's coaching you. He loves you. He loves every guy that he coaches. You could see that from uh, Jamal Charles to Adrian Peterson to Tyreek Hill, all guys to be enemy as coach, that they understand that he loves them and he's going to try to get the best out of them each and every single day. That's Patrick Mahomes. Okay? That is the best quarterback in the NFL. And the thing that I think people forget as they're talking about Matt Nagy, uh, as I'm making this point, is I'm going to give this back to you, dog. Do you know who was the offensive coordinator when Patrick Mahomes won his first Super Bowl? Hint, it wasn't Matt Nagy. You know who has two Super Bowl rings in four years? It's Eric Bieniemy. Okay? Now, you might also say, hey, look, he was working for Andy Reid. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Just like Matt Nagy was working for Andy Reid. You get what I'm saying here? All right? Add to this, Bieniemy was running backs coach and elevated to offensive coordinator. Right? So Andy Reid also gave that dude a shot. And I can't tell you what that means. I, I mean, I can because I'm living the dream. But getting your shot to do the job, that's all you ask for. And what did he do? He did the job, man. And we all thought just a year ago, Eric Bieniemy was destined to be an NFL head coach, and it did not happen for him. Still trying to figure that part out because he interviewed for a bunch of jobs. And he had a million conversations with people about getting a head coaching job, and it never came to fruition. So he made the decision to go to the commanders, I think in part to get out from under Andy Reid's shadow and bask in his own sunlight. It just didn't go to plan. He was joining a commander's team that was already down, right? Ron Rivera was on borrowed time. Dan Snyder was selling the team, right? Usually not a good sign for the head coach unless he goes and wins. And they go 4-13, and 13, right? This is why the enemy is trying to raise up a guy like Sam Howell, ends up having to go to Jacoby Brissett. It doesn't work out. The Revere gets fired. Dan Quinn wants to bring in his own OC, which, you know, that's his prerogative. And Bienemy was looking at being an assistant head coach and a running backs coach, not even another play caller gig. I guess we have forgotten. I'm sure we have forgotten the kind of player and coach that Bienemy was. This is a man who grew up in Los Angeles County, was an outstanding tailback over there, spurned USC to go to Colorado when people are like, what the hell are you doing? You could have been over here with Marcus Allen, OJ Simpson, Charles White, and you chose to go to Colorado. He says, yeah, about that. I finished top 10 in the Heisman. I was unanimous All-American as a tailback at Colorado. I won Big A Offensive Player of the Year, and I rushed for 1,600 yards en route to a national championship at Colorado. Then I played nine years in the NFL. And then I did a little bit of coaching. Like, that's how I would talk about this, right? If I there be enemy, dog, I would be walking with my chest out full time all the time. You wouldn't be able to tell me nothing. I would have both Super Bowl rings on my middle fingers. 
That's how it would go down. So him coming to UCLA is a boom for UCLA. Now, can the dude recruit? We don't know. We'll find out. And it's going to be like, hey, dog, he's going from having Patrick Mahomes to having Ethan Garbers and Colin Schley. And Patrick Mahomes, they are not. To which I would tell you, Patrick Mahomes went Patrick Mahomes until Eric Bieniemy got to him. You hear what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Now, he was good. Who made him a Super Bowl winning quarterback? Who taught that man how to fly? Telling y'all, man, something about that dude over there. Y'all going to get it on the good foot. Now, Deshaun Foster gets to say, this is who I am. I am going to be the guy that not unlike Coach Prime and not unlike really great CEO coaches all over this sport, I'm going to be the hype man. I'm going to make sure that everybody's pulling in the right direction. I'm going to hire people that know the game of football and I can trust them to run their sides. And I am going to steward UCLA into the big boy league of the Big Ten in year one. I'm really, really excited for what UCLA might be able to do here. Now, we'll see what happens with the rest of the staff. They don't actually play Ohio State in 2024. I checked, right? Because I was like, ooh, this could be juicy with Chip Kelly, Eric Bieniemy. You know, two guys that were offensive coordinators and pretty damn good offensive coordinators, head coach in the NFL if you're Chip Kelly. I'm excited about that. I think that this could be a lot of fun. Now, they got some work to do. We know this. I just pointed out the quarterback situation, but knowing what Bieniemy can do with the offense and knowing what Deshaun Foster is capable of doing in recruiting, I say the sky is the limit for what they can be. Now, I think if you're bowl eligible and you're UCLA, you ought to absolutely be jumping up and down for joy because your job this season is to finish head of Nebraska, which, you know what? Something that we will talk about in the very near future. As a matter of fact, on Thursday, I got a little bit of Nebraska for y'all, but that is going to do it for today's live episode of the number one college football show. Our number one college football show leads of screening are Jack Coakley, Torn Westfall, that makes better in the film room. Production assistant Kiara Santana and Jim Cunningham make us uh, put the special in our special team. Excuse me. So it's producer Javion Duncan. Make sure the recruits and the rivals see the cake we bake. Gabe Sable is sending in the signals. Senior producer Catherine Cordaggi sees the entire field from the booth. Lead producer Tyler Wojak calls the plays from the sideline and the play snaps on my clap. We'll be back on Thursday. Till then, stay low. Keep those feet driving. Doses.